Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From between the hedges at Sanford Stadium to the practice fields, from Stegman Coliseum and wherever else the Bulldogs are playing, it's time to talk Georgia sports. Touchdown, 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 from the Athens Banner Herald, here are your hosts, Mark Weiser and Ryan Dennis. Welcome in, everybody. It's the Bulldogs Extra Podcast. Ron Dennis with Mark Weiser, UGA and LSU. In the SEC Championship, your Georgia Bulldogs are still number one after beating Georgia Tech. And now, no longer interim coach Brent Key. The Bulldogs uh, took care of business again against the Yellow Jackets by a final score of 37-14. We'll talk SEC Championship game, some coaching hires in the SEC and about the LSU Tigers with SEC columnist Blake Topmeyer of the USA Today Sports Network. Ryan, how are you? Doing good, man. Just uh, excited. I always get excited about going to the SEC Championship. One, because it's usually one of the best games that we, we cover all year. But two, because there are refrigerators full of Diet Dr. Pepper everywhere. Yeah, and there's like a uh, isn't there like a Carvel ice cream machine in the uh, Mercedes. There is, Pins? and you can put your toppings on it from... Oreos to peanuts to any type of caramel sauce. It is quite a treat for us. Never let it be said that Ryan Dennis does not appreciate the uh, freebies, the perks that come from being a sports writer. Oh, yeah. Ryan, what is, what is your best bowl swag that you've gotten as a media member? Huh. Let's see here. Well, we had what back to back trips to New Orleans. Well, we got a hat. You know, I got a hat from there that I still wear. A lot of people were mixed on a hat but i love hats uh we also got the uh we got a couple of long sleeve shirts i remember uh let's see last year at the national championship what do we get a we got a toboggan or whatever you call those things uh a scarf uh all good things but you know I, i i've never received an electronics of any kind have you electronics um i feel like they gave out a watch somewhere or like you know, a, what? You know i don't know i guess you can call headphones it, or something like that i still believe i have like a 25 year old clock radio um that i maybe got from the acc when i covered clemson back in the day that i still use i, I don't even pay enough attention to it but i think that's the one i have by my bedside was it a bowl game or was it like the acc championship what uh did they even have an acc championship back then I feel like it was like ACC football media days or something. Yeah. Now I will say this, um, by the way, we're, we're way off topic, but um, I took some journalism ethics classes <laughs> as a, as a student and was basically told not to take many freebies and, you know, that kind of thing. So I did not take that class. So I will continue. <laughs> taking. <laughs> uh, but I will say the, the um, scarf that we got in Indianapolis from the college football playoff has come in super handy as uh, 
went to Mississippi State and they had the outdoor press box there and it was freaking cold. I've used it in Athens on very frigid mornings when I'm taking walks. So, uh, yeah. You know, I wore mine to a high school game a couple weeks ago when it dipped down into the 30s and it was very cozy. And then, you know, last Saturday, and we talked about it in the press box that, you know, if you were sitting in the sun and it was like 65, it was probably nice and toasty. But us in the press box, in the shade and, and the wind blowing in a little bit, it was rather cool. So I didn't shy away from throwing mine around my neck. I thought it felt pretty good. Even if some people, you know, made fun of me wearing a scarf when it was 65 outside, I didn't care. All right. Well, um, I don't know if you can tell my voice, but I'm like Jaden Daniels. I'm, I'm playing hurt this week. He's got an ankle injury. I got some kind of cold. Um, but I did do a, a talk radio, a sports radio interview last night in, uh, I guess it was Baton Rouge, somewhere in Louisiana. Um, and, uh, I thought my voice came through. Okay. It feels a little bit, uh, not that great right now, but better than we had our zoom meeting yesterday. Right, Ryan? Right. Well, I'm glad that we're zooming and not like sitting next to each other in a studio. If you're a little under weather. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I think it's basically like the grind of a season. I usually have, you know, by, by this time I'm ready for the, uh, the break between the SEC championship game and the playoff. Uh, now you said you were excited about this game, but I wrote about this. I believe it was Sunday night, Monday morning. Um, look for the four previous, uh, or this is, let's see, this is the fifth, right? 17, uh, 18, 19, 21 and 22 under Kirby. It's kind of like a, a constant. Um, this has less oomph. I feel like than any of the others, because there always was a team that needed a win in this game to get in the playoff. And that's not the case. Last year it was Alabama, obviously Georgia in the years before, you know, I feel like the LSU lost to Texas A&M took a lot of steam out of this game. Now, there are things still for Georgia to play for, seeding, um, undefeated uh, season if they want to keep that going, and, of course, the SEC championship. So on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your excitement for this matchup? Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I think I'm more excited about the Dr. Pepper, I mean, if we're going to be honest. But, yeah, the game did lose a lot of pizzazz last week when Texas A&M ended up beating LSU. You know, uh, LSU might have been, what, five in, in last night's rankings had they – had yeah, they it, uh, yeah. beat Texas A&M, but obviously well, they're not. Yeah, if LSU beat, beats Texas A&M, they got a chance to, to get in the playoff as the first two-loss team. Right. But now they're number 14 in the rankings. So Exactly, that's... and you're exactly right. It, it does lose a little bit of sizzle. Obviously, we think Georgia's still in uh, no matter what happens in this game. Now, you know, if it turns out to be an ugly loss of some sort, you know, who knows? But uh, you're right. I mean, it, it last year with Alabama needing that win to get in and, Georgia in 18 came up just short. 17, they beat Auburn to to jump from six to two, I think, or three, whatever it was, to get in the playoffs. So none of that, it doesn't have that feel uh, this year, and uh, which kind of stinks because this is one of the best games uh, every single year, and a lot of people look forward to it. But but again, it is a it is a big game for Georgia on their quest. You know, Stetson Bennett the other day in the Post-game media said that, you know, their goal wasn't go 12-0, and is go 15-0 and this year, and this would be another step in that process. So Southern Cal in the Pac-12 championship game probably has the most pressure of all these championship weekend teams. They lose. Ohio State has a chance to jump back into the 14 playoff. Georgia, Michigan, and probably TCU might be able to get in with a loss even. Um, who is TCU guys? Is that Kansas State, right? Yeah. In the, uh, I mean, you don't think that if they lose and miss or, or you know or Michigan to what Purdue, that wouldn't drop them out. 
What does Michigan Purdue have to do with TCU? You're saying Michigan would drop? No, no, no. I'm saying if either one of those teams lose, you don't think that would be a detriment to their resume to to get into the you know the Final Four there. Well, I don't think Michigan is going to be penalized. Um, like you're not going to jump Ohio State over Michigan for Michigan right. having an extra game. Um, I don't think so. You know, TCU I think has had enough quality wins and has a strong strength of schedule that they they probably. I mean, unless they lay an egg, if this is like a, a forty-two to three game or something like that, then you might have to revisit it. But I think I think most of these playoff teams or or you know presumed playoff teams look to be in in decent shape. Southern Cal is the one that could I think could get jumped by. Uh, you know, by Ohio State at number five if, if they falter. Uh, mm-hmm. But Georgia clearly the number one team in your mind. There was some uh, talk late yesterday, I guess by Heather Denich from ESPN on Twitter, that you know Michigan has has a better quality win and uh, you know beating beating Ohio State and uh, strength of schedule got boosted by that. But clearly the committee didn't see it that way. I agree that that Georgia should have remained number one. I mean. I mean, what are you looking at? A, a semi-lackluster performance in the first half against Tech, and then you turn it around and you look like the number one team in the second half. To me, I, I didn't see any reason to to drop Georgia lower than number one. I mean, again, if it's a if it's a resume of a complete season, and you've got big wins over Oregon, South Carolina, now you know what are they top twenty right in the in the rankings? That was a demolition for Georgia. There's just there's no reason uh, Georgia running the table in the SEC should be below a Big Ten Michigan and and you look at who did Michigan survive just uh, two weeks ago when they had to kick a field goal there to to win at the end I mean it uh, Illinois right yeah, so it yeah. wasn't like they have a a you know resume to me that's better than Georgia uh, you know if you look at Georgia struggling against the Missouri or struggling maybe a little bit at Kentucky I mean. Michigan also struggled against Illinois. So if you look at it from that perspective, I don't think the win over Ohio State was enough to launch them past the Bulldogs, no. How much do you think winning an SEC title means these days uh, if you're Georgia? I mean, you've won a national championship. You have a chance to win another, uh, or or not even just Georgia. I mean, to LSU or or for anybody, uh, you know, in this day and age, um, you know, where does it stand? You know, I think it still means a lot. I, you know, obviously national championships, the number one goal for everybody. And Georgia has proven that you don't have to win the SEC last year to to win the national championship. But I also was thinking about this game and about the Sugar Bowl from three years ago when Georgia lost to Texas. They responded right the next year with the with the win over Baylor because Kirby put an emphasis that we're not going to perform like we did the year before. Uh, against Texas. And I, I think he's kind of using last year's game and, and showing the importance uh, of, of what this game means to, to win an SEC championship along their, you know, journey to a national championship. I think it's still very important to him. And I, I think it's very important to a lot of teams. I really do. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the players, uh, you know, want to do something that hasn't been done since 2017. Right. Um, you know, and I think it fits in with going 15 know, like you mentioned that Stetson said. So um, we'll see. I mean, uh, it's interesting. Also, I think the ticket price is uh, pretty low compared to other SEC championship games going back to like 2016. So, you know, um, I don't know if uh, 
the demand is out there. I mean, if, if people want to have some money to throw out, maybe save it, for, save it for the semis, save it for going to LA. I, I don't know, but uh, I'm sure it'll be a very heavy Georgia crowd again. Yeah, I'm expecting it to be maybe two thirds, three quarter red and black. You know, and uh, yeah, maybe more like the Oregon game a little bit from earlier in the year. Yeah. All right. So Georgia, uh, as we mentioned, 37 14, uh, 10-7 halftime lead against Georgia Tech. They have had these slow starts, uh, you know, nine points, I think it was, against Kentucky at halftime, uh, 17 against the Mississippi State. Uh, what's your level of concern about this offense? Um, are they, you know, can they get back grooving like they were earlier in the year? Yeah, it's kind of funny in it that they – They've, they've, they 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 have their moments of, of looking dominant, and they certainly did in the first, what, two weeks or three weeks, uh, like we mentioned, against Oregon and South Carolina especially, that they can, you know, roll off big points at any time. And, and um, you know, the slow start, uh, you know, at Kentucky, can you blame the cold on that? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe a little bit. Last week against Georgia Tech, I don't know. It just seemed like things weren't exactly clicking uh, at first, but I also think the offense seemed a little stale on, on Saturday, you know, uh, running a lot of the same plays, uh, kind of a, you know, running back lead or, or a, a counter or whatever you might want to call it. Uh, and wasn't too exploratory. I don't know if that was, you know, trying to hide some things to, to break out in the SEC championship or in the playoffs or whatnot. But I think that when this, when this offense is, is clicking, that it, you know, is one of the best in the, in the country. And I don't see, I don't see there need to be too much concern. And I think we might see Todd Munkin break out maybe some, uh, some more stuff, some, some deeper, you know, in the playbook type of stuff, uh, especially starting this week with SEC championship. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, they know they can win these games without necessarily, uh, you know, getting taking in their a- bag too much. Yeah. 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 And um, especially with, with some of those opponents that, that they've had. And, and the other thing is, um, you know, they're really running the ball well, which, you know, obviously can, can eat up the clock. Now they're not running it necessarily well in the red zone. And you, you also, you know, think about some of the red zone play calling, if that's also about not using your best stuff either. Although they did get a little more creative, went to the outside. I think it was maybe Dejon Edwards. Obviously you send, um, uh, Jalen Carter out for, as a fullback, as a receiver. Then you had Bowers open and, and, uh, Bennett kind of underthrew him. He scooped it up <laughs> for the touchdown. Um, but I, I think I was impressed that, you know, Tate Ratledge comes back in there. I think he had some key blocks at right guard. Um, and they're wearing down teams late in these games, I feel uh-huh. like. And um, Kendall Milton, I think uh, a couple touchdowns now in the last three weeks and some big All runs. runs. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he started this last week too. And he did. Uh, so I think they got a good thing going with the running game. So, you know, play, playing it safe maybe a little bit with with Stetson, and, and Stetson's making all, all kinds of plays. I'm really impressed with him, uh, you know, avoiding trouble when, when the pass rush gets to him and and taking off and, and uh, you know, getting those first downs or, or just picking up extra yardage, avoiding the loss. You know, you know, Mark, I will say that the receiver production has been lacking. You know, I think you had um, – you had the touchdown reception uh, by Rosemary Jack Saint on on Saturday, but I think it was only one of three receiver catches. You know, I don't, you know, Ad Mitchell obviously his injuries had an impact, uh, but didn't target uh, or didn't find Lad McConkey. You know, uh, the other day, which he's been a big part of the offense past two years and uh, some other things. Now again, that might go back to not showing your hand as much. I, I don't know, but I think that does that is a place where Georgia could use. 
a little better production in the offense. A.D. Mitchell came out on a fourth down play, lined up wide, and then uh, there was a timeout, and then he didn't come back out. Uh, maybe they, they didn't like the formation or the uh, how, how Tech was lining up. Um, so, you know, it's always a wait and see. I mean, I think he looks ready to go. He might be a kind of guy that they're holding back, and and now they can unleash. I mean, I'm not sure exactly where that where that stands. Um, Georgia Tech did work the edges uh, and outgained Georgia in the first half. Um, I think that's been the one area defensively that teams have tried to exploit, and and they've uh, they've had some success in that regard. Um, you know, Keely Ringo has some plays where where he uh, you know gets beat or uh, you know things don't go so well. Then he comes back and you look at the statute; he's got like three pass breakups and you know um, is productive. So it's an up and down situation there. Um, you know, on the outside and with these guys on an island. But, um, you know, it would be interesting to see if other teams try to kind of go that route as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think for the most part, Keeley is, he's been really good for Georgia. So, All right, let's bring on Blake uh, Topmeyer now to talk about this uh, Georgia LSU SEC championship matchup. Thanks for listening to the Bulldogs Extra podcast. Like what you hear? Subscribe today wherever you get your podcast. Give us a rating a like, and even leave us a comment to let us know how we're doing. As always, find more content at onlineathens.com and in the Athens Banner Herald. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, now we're going to bring on SEC columnist Blake Topmeyer of the USA Today Sports Network. Blake, how's it going? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, we wanted to get a chance to talk to you uh, to get kind of a uh, wide-ranging perspective on this Georgia-LSU matchup and all things SEC for someone that, that doesn't cover these teams like on a daily basis on a beat, but covers a conference as a whole, I'm curious what you think of this matchup. I mean, I, I think it's pretty lopsided. Uh, I, I wrote recently that this feels like the most lopsided SEC championship since I believe it was 2016 when uh, Alabama trounced a, uh, you know, just, a, I, I guess, a good, but certainly not great Florida team. I think Florida went nine and four that year won the East, but the East was pretty weak. Um, and Alabama had their way with them in the conference championship. That's what, that's what this reminds me of. I mean, LSU is a good story this year. I was there in their season opener when they lost to Florida state and really just played poorly for much of that game until rallying late. And I thought Brian Kelly's got a project on his hands here. I, I mean, at that point, walking out of the stadium that night, I thought this LSU team's going to go, you know, six and six, seven or seven and five. And, and that'll be that. So, I mean, I, I do think there, there's a lot of credit due there for, um, you know, how this team showed resilience. Jaden Daniels has improved as the season goes. Um, but I think we were reminded last week against Texas A&M that, um, you know, LSU kind of took advantage of a down year for, from the SEC West, which credit to them for, for doing so. Uh, but I don't think them being in Atlanta is necessarily indicative, you know, that this is a great team. Whereas I look at, at Georgia, and obviously you guys know this better than I do, but I mean, I look at Georgia as, as a very well-rounded group. Um, you know, I was there uh, with you all covering the, the Tennessee game a, a few weeks ago, obviously was, was impressed by what I saw there. Um, defense, I mean, the, the secondary in particular, uh, I think is probably even better than, than last year. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see any chinks in, in Georgia's armor, um, which is, which is what you would have said about them last season as, as well. I don't think they're as good as that team necessarily. I don't know if they, they have to be though. 
So is LSU fan base coming around to Brian Kelly? I mean, maybe they accepted him from the start. I, I don't know. But, you know, with the whole faux uh, Louisiana <laughs> accent and all that, I mean, uh, do you think he's done, uh, you know, uh, enough to to get the fan base to rally around him as uh, their long-term coach and all? Yeah, I, I think they really have warmed up to him. And I, I think it's a reminder that for as much as we talk about cultural fit or geographical fit when it comes to coaching hires, I look at that as like, extra credit on the test. If you're one of the smartest kids in class, you don't need the extra credit on, on your test. Or if you're one of the dumbest kids in class, that extra credit probably isn't going to help you a whole heck of a lot. You know, I, I think that that cultural fit, that geographic fit, that sort of maybe is that boost for those coaches in the middle where they're like a good but not great coach. And that cultural fit, though, the fan base likes them, might help them hang around a little bit longer than they would otherwise. But, you know, if you're a bad coach, you're going to get fired no matter how good the fit is. And if you're a good coach, uh, the fan base is going to take to you if you win games, regardless of whether you're a, a cultural fit or not. But I, I do think it goes a little bit beyond winning. Um, I, I think Brian Kelly came to LSU with a reputation for being a little bit prickly. Um, you know, I, I know, you know there were some moments in press conferences in, in the past uh, and just his general demeanor. You know, he wasn't he didn't really come to the bayou as this warm, lovable guy. And I'm not saying he's morphed into that entirely, but I do feel like he's thawed a little bit, at least as compared to his reputation. Um, I mean, frankly, throughout this season, he's come across very, very likable, I think, uh, certainly more likable then I think uh, maybe the reputation he would have had when he came to town. And maybe that's just seeing him firsthand. I've, I've been in a few of his press conferences. I hear him every week on the SEC teleconference. Um, but I think it goes a little farther than that. I, I think he's maybe uh, intentionally, you know, putting a, a good fit forward here, not just with his team and, and winning the West, but I think also with his personality this season. Yeah, I would seem to agree, agree with that on the on the SEC call at least. Uh, like he's the most engaging, personable coach that that's on there, and and I don't know how much of it is genuine or not, but I know he had that kind of uh, little run in with a, a reporter that came in late to a press conference, and that that kind of was a uh, um, you know a couple of days of uh, you know maybe a, a bad uh, vibe going there. But I agree with you; he's he's kind of uh, settled in well there. Is he your SEC coach of the year, or there's there's several other good candidates? Well, this might stun you guys, but if if Georgia wins in it on on Saturday, the, the awards come out after that, correct? The the coach of the year comes out after the SEC championship. I'm yeah. right. And, yeah. yeah. I'd go Kirby. And I know that's probably a maybe not an unpopular take on <laughs> to your audience, but throughout the conference, that would probably be an unpopular take. I'm not of the mind that just because a team is highly ranked in the preseason a coach can't win coach of the year. I know some people are of that mind and that's fine. You know, you can look at these awards however, however you want to. I've never been that way. Just because your team is supposed to be good and is good, I don't think that disqualifies you from the award. I I was leaning toward Brian Kelly, I would have said, until the loss to Texas A&M. I think that sours this season a little bit, just enough. I think it's still been a good debut for him. I think it's been a really, really good year, too, for Josh Heupel. I think he's a good candidate for this as well. But when I look at what Georgia lost off last season, 
what was it, 15 mm-hmm. players selected in the NFL draft. Right. Everybody expected them to, I think, take at least somewhat of a step back this season. And, and the machine just keeps threshing. And I, I think that there's a lot of credit due for that because there's really only been one coach um, in the last decade, 15 years that has made that look easy. I mean, even some of the really great programs that we've seen spring up or really good programs that we've seen pop up for a year or two, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, if they lose a draft class as significant as what Georgia lost last year, there's naturally at least a bit of a step back in the following season. You think about what happened to LSU after that 2019 national championship team, just one, I mean, one of the great college football teams of all time, um, but lost a ton of players to the NFL and they took a a significant step back. I, I think, for Georgia to just keep it humming and, and to make it look like losing 15 guys to the draft was no big thing. Yeah. I think if, I think if Georgia goes into the playoff as the number one team uh, and, and wins on Saturday, I think I'd go with Kirby. I don't think he'll win it because I don't think many people uh, vote in this thing that way. I think they look at the, you know, the, the teams that exceed expectations that overperform, but I would say Georgia has overperformed. It wasn't like they were number one. Uh, preseason coming coming into this thing, the um, the two picks to to win the national championship, the two most popular picks were either Alabama or Ohio State, two teams that uh, you know may not even make the college football playoffs. So yeah, I'd, I'd lean Kirby. You're absolutely right. I mean, you got to have uh, you know they had to fill in a an entire linebacking core and everything else uh, along the way, a couple running backs you know to replace. So. Uh, we were discussing earlier the college football rankings. Do you think they got it right last night? Should Georgia still be number one? I do. I think they got it right all the way to number six. I, I would have Tennessee and Alabama flipped there. That The head-to-head to me means something. I know Hendon Hooker's injured at Tennessee, but if you look at resume, um, Tennessee has a better resume than, than Alabama. Alabama's best win is at Texas, which is eight and four. They have two losses to teams that have a combined five losses. Um, so I, I think Alabama was one spot too high. I don't, I don't have a huge gripe with it. I mean, it's not a hill I'll die on, but I, I would have those teams flipped. But I think one through five, uh, I think they got it exactly right. As impressive as Michigan's win against Ohio State was, their overall resume just isn't enough to put them at number one. Now they might end up being the best team in the country. They might win the national championship, but what they've put on paper, I don't think tops what Georgia has done. Now Georgia hasn't played the the toughest schedule out of, out of any team in the sec Uh, by the sec standards. It's been kind of a middle of the road type schedule, but it's been a tougher schedule than what Michigan played. Michigan's non-conference schedule was an absolute joke. Um, And so I don't think they should be rewarded as the number one team, just based purely off that Ohio State win. Now, if if somehow the eye test told you that that Michigan is undeniably better than than Georgia, then I would say, okay, you got to look beyond uh, the resume, the strength of schedule. The eye test tells you this has to be the number one team. So be it. But I don't think that's that's the case. I mean, I think you could maybe make the argument that Michigan is as good or better than Georgia. I don't think it's undeniable though. Uh, I actually would give the edge to Georgia. And I think when you throw in the, the strength of schedule um, and the fact that Georgia, you know, played Oregon in a non-conference game, again, Michigan just didn't play anybody in the non-conference and, and Georgia's win over Tennessee compares favorably uh, with Michigan's win against Ohio state 
so I, I do think they get they got it right at the top. All right, Auburn made a coaching hire. What do you think of Hugh Freeze going to the Plains and you talk about cultural fits? I mean, this is the kind of place that that seems to be very important. Um, did they make the best hire that they could have? And I said I wrote from the start of this search that this could was a search that could function with no more than two real candidates, Lane Kiffin option A and and Hugh Freeze option B. Uh, now, a lot of times what I write at the beginning of the coaching search is proves to be incorrect. So well, we don't have to talk about all those times. Uh, but, but in this instance, um, you know, that's exactly the way Auburn approached it. I, I think Lane was option A. And when he stayed in Ole, at Ole Miss, uh, he was was the fallback option. And I'm not sure it, it really ever got much farther than that. I do think he I think there will be some fans. Uh, because of, of Hughes' moral turpitude in his past, um, the phone calls to escorts that, uh, that led to his resignation while he was at Ole Miss, I think there will be a, a portion, a small portion of the fan base that, no matter how well he does there, uh, will not be aboard the Hugh Freeze bandwagon. I, I think that will probably, though, be a vocal minority. I, I think if Hugh wins games, uh, I think he, he's going to be very popular down there because I do think his personality meshes with really what they want at Auburn a lot better than either of the past two guys. I mean, I don't, I don't think Gus Malzahn ever should have been fired. I thought it was ridiculous that Auburn paid $21.5 million to get rid of a coach uh, who'd had eight consecutive winning seasons, had a, had a, had a couple wins against uh, had a few wins against Nick Saban. I mean, it, it was crazy that they fired Gus Malzahn. I still believe that. Um, Brian Harson, different story. I, I think he, he, he deserved what he got this year. Uh, you don't win, you get fired. Um, that's, that's the way it goes. Um, but I think Hugh Freeze's personality fits much better than either of those guys. I think he's going to recruit his tail off. I think he's going to hit the transfer portal hard this off season. We've never heard one single person ever question his coaching acumen. Um, that's something that's not in doubt, uh, about Hugh Freeze. So I, I think it's going to be I think he's going to fare well there. And I, and I feel a little uncomfortable saying that just because, um, you know, something always seems to go awry at Auburn. Uh, right. So it is with a, a little bit of trepidation. I say that, but I, I do think this is a good fit. I think he's a good coach. If I were projecting the top coaches in the league, like into next season, uh, you know, we all do these rankings lists. How do you rank the coaches in the conference or whatever? Um, I'd probably have Hugh Freeze number four. I'd have Kirby one, not on an all-time rankings list. Of course, Nick Saban's the greatest of all time. But in this moment, I'd have Kirby one. I'd have Nick Saban two. I'd have Brian Kelly three. And I'd have Hugh, Hugh Freeze four. I mean, I think if if your moral compass tells you that that Hugh Freeze shouldn't have been, been hired, I'm, I'm not going to you know argue with that. Everybody's got their own moral compass. Mine doesn't. I don't think there's enough evidence that says Hugh Freeze was unhirable. Um, I, I think he is hireable. I do not think calling escorts equates to a lifetime ban um, from the SEC. Um, but just based on coaching, if we put all that other stuff aside, I, I think Auburn's got, you know, one of the top four or five coaches in the SEC now. Trying to read the tea leaves of Lane Kiffin tweets. Uh, do you think he considered this job or, or was he using it as leverage for Ole Miss? I mean, he, I mean, it seems like he didn't get passed over necessarily. He just decided to stay at Ole Miss. I do think Lane considered this job. I, I think he gave it real consideration. Um, 
I don't know that he needed to, uh, you know, I don't know that he would have needed to do some of the stuff to, to get the leverage that he did to, to just stay at Ole Miss. I think Ole Miss was committed to keeping him regardless. I mean, maybe he squeezed a little bit more out of him. Uh, but I do think the interest from Auburn was legitimate. And I do think uh, Lane gave it some, some consideration as well. He should have um, in the end, personally, I never thought Lane needed to leave Ole Miss. Um, I think, uh, I think historically Auburn is, is, is obviously a step up from, uh, from Ole Miss, but I don't know how much Lane would have liked coaching Auburn. You know, when we talk about the, the Hugh Freeze's personality being a hit there, Lane's a very introverted person. Uh, I don't see him going out and politicking, glad handing with boosters, showing up to celebrity golf tournaments. Like everything I know about Lane and everything I know about the Auburn job, uh, they're like oil and water. Now, I mean, I think he's a good coach. I think he would have won a lot of games there. Um, would he have been more happy there than he is at Ole Miss? I don't, I don't know that that's that he would have been. I, I think, you know, he's got something going at Ole Miss. The expectations at Ole Miss aren't quite as high um, as they are at Auburn. I think Ole Miss can make the playoff after it expands to 12 teams. Last year's team that went to the Sugar Bowl probably would have been a playoff team in the 12 team playoff era. Um, and, and I think, you know, Lane at Ole Miss is like the, he's the, he's the big fish in that pond. He's, he's the king of that state. Uh, nobody's going to tell Lane Kiffin what to do, um, you know, within reason uh, in the state of Mississippi at Ole Miss. He is, uh, he is atop the Ole Miss mountain at Auburn. We know it takes, uh, takes a little bit, more than that, it takes a little bit of politicking, takes a little bit of glad handing. Uh, Lane wouldn't come in and, and, and be the the uh, the unquestioned uh, big fish in in that pond. Um, so I think he ultimately made a good choice for for him and, and his family and his situation. Uh, but I do think he he gave it real consideration. Yes. And Blake, was that you that that took a picture of Derek Dooley eating spaghettios or whatever under the? <laughs> no, that was that was not me. Uh, I was there that night, but I did not. Uh, I did not see that scene, but certainly, uh, certainly appreciated it. Yeah, Alabama's had quite the run of uh, of former uh, former Tennessee coaches. Much like uh, Auburn is now on a run of hiring former Arkansas State coaches. Somebody pointed that out recently. I saw that. Yeah, yeah they've now hired three straight former Arkansas Arkansas State coaches, not directly from Arkansas State, but coaches who had coached at Arkansas State at one point or another, which tells me that if this thing doesn't work with Hugh Freeze, Butch, jo- Butch Jones is on deck, right? <laughs> so didn't that disqualify Lane, right? He wasn't a uh, former – Well, that's true, yes. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's keep it on the SEC and, and less on the uh, championship game. Before we get you out of here, you know, who, who do you think is the biggest threat to Georgia in the SEC East, however, however long that lasts? I guess they're going to be getting rid of divisions in the next uh, few years. Is it Tennessee? Is it South Carolina? Or is there a team, another team behind the curtain? I think if you're looking at it long term, which we really can't, because as you mentioned, the, the divisions have a short shelf life. But if we were to look at it long term in a, in a vacuum world where, where the divisions aren't going away, I still think it's Florida. I, I think Florida, uh, beyond Georgia, has the highest ceiling of, of programs in the East. Uh, I don't know how Billy Napier is going to work there. I'm not, I'm not ready to write him off yet. I think some Florida fans are, that's, 
as typical Florida fans, right? Maybe that's just typical SEC fans, but uh, I think Florida fans in particular are a little bit, uh, a little bit fickle. Um, I think Billy Napier stepped into a bad situation in year one, just in terms of the roster he inherited. Um, this is this is not a typical Florida team. It does not have typical Florida talent. Um, Florida's recruiting reasonably well. Uh, probably needs to recruit even better, but I, you know it's got off to a decent start so far, given the average season that it's having. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think Florida's probably the program with the highest ceiling. Whether Billy Napier's the guy or not, I think it's it's truly too soon to say. At Tennessee. I'm going to be really interested to see what life looks like for Tennessee after Hendon Hooker. I mean, I don't think they're going to just go back, you know, into the the dark days, fall off a cliff, because I think Josh Heupel um, is the best coach they've had. Uh, well, the best coach they've had since since Lane Kiffin, and Lane Kiffin was only there one year. And at that stage in Lane's career, you know, much younger Lane. I mean, I'd say you could probably say Heupel's a uh, better coach than than he was at that point in time too. So really, you could probably go back to Philip Fulmer uh, and say Heupel's the best coach Tennessee has had since Fulmer. So I don't think the dark days are coming back for Tennessee. Um, I also don't necessarily believe they're going to be ripping off ten win seasons year after year either. Um, you know, I think it's an uncertain future for them. What this is going to look like post Hinton Hooker. They'll have Joe Milton conceivably coming back, but he's been un- unable to hang hang on to starting jobs in the past. They got the five-star freshman coming in. When will he be ready to operate this system? I, I think they're going to stay good, but I think uh, I think Florida probably has the highest ceiling because um, you know Florida has some advantages that Tennessee doesn't. There's more there's more talent within your home state, more competition for that talent, but there is more talent. Um, and I just think it's a little bit of a higher ceiling job. It's close, but I'd give the edge to Florida. All right, Blake, we uh, appreciate you joining us, talking SEC football and a little bit of the uh, championship, and uh, enjoy your drive to Atlanta. I guess we'll see you in the press box on Saturday. Okay, sounds good. We'll see you there, guys. the USA Today Sports Network up in Knoxville, where he is located, uh, for joining us to talk all things SEC. Ryan, a couple – this is award season. Todd Munkin is a finalist for the Broyles Award for Nation's Top Assistant. Brock Bowers, a finalist for the Mackey Award for Nation's Best Tight End. Three tight ends, five coaches left in those categories. Who's got the better chance to win, you think? Ooh. You know, that's a good I, I I think Brock Bowers is generally considered the best tight end in the country by a lot of people. I think he's got a very good shot of claiming that. What is Georgia didn't don't they have the past two Broyles Award winners? I mean, uh No, I don't think anyone's won it recently. I thought uh Dan Lanning had No, he was a he was a finalist a couple of times. I don't think he okay. won it. I thought he had won it uh one of those times at least. Um nope. but yeah, I'm gonna stick to your original question, go with Brock Bowers. I think uh you know, what he's done and what he continues to to do uh, impresses a lot of people. And looking at the list, um, I don't think a Georgia coach, you know, the left, Brian Van Gorder won it back-to-back years in 2002 and 2003. Good for him. And that's the last time since then. Sprung him to the Georgia Southern job, right? Josh Gaddis, Steve Sarkeesian, Joe Brady have won it the last 
three. I agree eight. with Joe Brady. That was that was a year right there. Although he didn't uh, didn't pan out as an uh, NFL coordinator. No. Uh, I think Bowers has a better chance, although the Notre Dame tight end um, might have something to say about that. It's you know he's got a lot of hype as well. Yeah, um, I watched him the other night too against USC. He was uh, pretty impressive. All right, Jalen Ingram is back playing for the Georgia basketball team. They host Hampton tonight. Good to see. I wrote about Jalen in the summertime. Good to see him come back off that torn ACL and uh, Bulldogs at five and two so far. Yeah, somewhat local guy too, right? I mean, from down the road in Morgan County. Madison, yeah. Madison. Ryan, uh, this is your opportunity to uh, praise the Georgia volleyball team that's going to the NCAA tournament, going to – Austin, Texas to play Towson. And then if they beat that team, they got to play Texas the next round. Go ahead. All right. You know, it's funny. Uh, I think when you look at University of Georgia coaches across the board, I don't know if anybody gets. And, you know, we'll say what we will about volleyball. It's not high on the list of of things that most Georgia fans will, will pay too much attention to. But Tom Black is a really good coach. And I mean, you know, he's he's got experience with USA Volleyball. I believe he was Canada Volleyball's head coach at the last Olympics or or at least trying to qualify for – I mean, the guy, the fact that he's been here for six, seven years now, maybe even longer, uh, you know, should be noticed because he's a heck of a coach. And I'm sure he's had opportunities to go other places. I mean, he's a guy from California, but I, I really do. You know, I sat down and talked with him three or four years ago, I think it was. And I think he and his family just kind of planted roots uh, in the area and, and really love it. And, uh, you know, good for him for for staying around. And, you know, when, when Georgia volleyball makes the tournament, that should be praised. I mean, that's a that's a big deal for that program. So, and, you know, they beat Florida earlier this year. So um, I bet you weren't expecting me to actually have a little bit of uh, volleyball knowledge there, were you? Yeah, that was a lot more than I expected. That's we didn't plan on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's there you great. go. Next time I was at the red and black on the Georgia volleyball beat. So I do kind of keep uh, up with it from afar. When was that? Oh, oh seven. Yeah. Back in uh Maria Taylor days, man. Uh knew she was gonna be a shining star one day. Hey, did uh did you break down the five Georgia women's basketball players that were ejected from their game in the Bahamas? Uh <laughs> What went on there? Did you did you break it down? No, we'll leave that to McLean, our uh, women's beat writer. He can he can come on next time and talk. All right, about I need a uh, I need a detail about that. All right, let's make our picks, Ryan. Did you go back and count your numbers from last week? Uh, no, I'm sure Alyssa beat me though. She no, she told me she didn't do it very well. So nah. I don't I don't know if that's the case. Uh, all right, I went nine and five. I'm up to 102 and 98. Mm. And this so you're be- making money if you you know you go by that reasoning. I would be if I was placing money, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'll just have to settle for that steakhouse burger that Ryan will be uh, hooking me up with. Hey, look, wa- we got three Whataburgers coming to the area. I'll just take you to one of them. Where's the closest one? I think we're getting one out at Atlanta Highway. Oh, isn't there? I think I think one has already opened in Atlanta, though. Well, yeah, in Atlanta. I saw the line of that the other day. You see that cra- craziness? I did not see it. It was back down the road, but I think we're getting one in Commerce, uh, one in, yeah, anyway. All right, this three local a, locations. This will be an abbreviated list of um, picks this week because I'm, we're not getting into every one of these championship games. We're just going to do the major ones. That sounds good. Okay, uh, we got Utah at Southern, not at Southern Cal. Utah and Southern Cal 
Uh, in Las Vegas, in the Pac-12 championship game, it's the Trojans by three. I am taking Southern Cal, uh, such an important game for them, a chance for uh, you know their, their quarterback uh, to maybe cement a Heisman. Um, so uh, I'll lay the three points out. I tell you, also a chance at redemption, right? In Utah, their only loss this year. So I'm sure that is on their minds uh, pretty strong at the moment. And I agree with you. I think USC covers, got more to play for, as you said. A good game probably wins Caleb uh, Williams the Heisman. So yeah, Caleb, uh, Caleb's getting the the whole uh, you know Friday night uh, audience like the, yeah. not going up against another another absolutely. All right, the Big Twelve game is in Texas. It's Kansas State and TCU. The Horn Frogs are favored by two and a half, just like everybody predicted, right? TCU and Kansas State. What, what do you got, Ryan? Uh I think TCU, they're in the same boat, right? They've got a lot to play for. Uh, you know, they've they've they don't want to screw this up, so to speak. You know, they don't get too many of these opportunities to run the table and, and make it into the championship or the final four. So uh give me TCU to to hold court and, and cover that. All right. In the uh, American athletic... You didn't make your pick. Oh uh, did I not? Yeah, I'm taking TCU also uh there you go. laying the points. Uh, in the American, it is UCF and Tulane. Uh, Gus Malzahn uh, going up against Willie Fritz, who had a roller coaster of a week, didn't he? Was reported to be about to take the Georgia Tech job, and then they kept Brent Key. I'm going to take the Green Wave by three and a half. That's the number, at least. I'm taking Tulane. Um, I think UCF is is not so great away from uh, Orlando. Where is this game, actually? Do you yeah, Tulane. Okay, yeah. What do you got? You know what? I think Blake Topmeyer got me excited for Gus Malzahn again. So give me UCF to go in there, and, and I say they win it outright, especially with the craziness that went on, like you mentioned, with Fritz last week. I mean, I thought a deal was in place. I think that was reported for a minute. And then next thing you know, Brent Keys hurts. So give me the give me the UCFs. All right, the ACC game is in Charlotte. It's Clemson in North Carolina. The Tigers by seven and a half. Ryan, what are you doing? Hey, give me Drake May. You know, he was hot for a long time and and probably the front runner for the Heisman there until they lost to Tech, or at least in the conversation as one of the top two or three. Clemson, they've been they've been been struggling a little bit. Um, so give me North Carolina to to I don't know if they'll win it, but they'll keep it closer than seven. Yeah, I was I'm taking the, the Tar Heels here as well. And Clemson uh after getting you know, beaten at home to South Carolina, the quarterback questions there. And, uh, you know, um, Dabo's getting asked about, you know, his coaching staff and that kind of stuff. Um, so I will take North Carolina, the big 10 game. It's Purdue at Michigan. It's the Wolverines by 16 and a half in Indianapolis, same place where Georgia won national title. Um, what do you got? I, I guess I'll tell you my pick first. I'm taking Michigan to cover the 16 and a half. Ooh, they, I mean, they, they are a machine. You think so? You think yeah. would that be the best national championship matchup them against Georgia? I mean, I, I don't know. Might be a good one, but last year in Orange Bowl sure wasn't much of a matchup. But give me, uh, I'll say Purdue keeps it within sixteen. Uh, that's a big number for a championship game. All right, and last one is Georgia LSU at Mercedes Benz Stadium. Speaking it's, of big numbers, it's the Bulldogs by seventeen and a half. Uh, unless it's changed since I looked it up uh, earlier in the week. 
Ryan, what do you got? You know, I, I think, as we mentioned earlier, yeah, Georgia, I just don't think they were pulling out all the stops against Georgia Tech. Um, probably not the week before it. Kentucky either. Uh, and and as we saw that they uh, they loved playing in the uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium uh, in, in front of a crowd that's pretty much two-thirds to three-quarters pro Bulldog. Uh, I think, as we discussed earlier, that Kirby Smart has this team eager, hungry to win a SEC championship since they didn't get to do it last year. And again, they want to they want to march to 15 and 0. This is another hurdle in doing that. Uh LSU is is, you know, that loss last week really deflated them, I believe, and you know, gives them not that much to play for anymore. So, I am going to go with the Bulldogs to cover that and have another big win in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Yeah, I'm taking Georgia to cover as well. It feels like uh, like a 31 to 13 game. What is that? 19 points or something like? No, 18. I don't know. Do my math? They would cover. Yeah, um, or maybe 34, 13. I took it. I don't. I don't remember. I think it's 34. So when I, I turned into USA Today Sports Network, um, I, I don't. I don't think Georgia's. Uh, I think Georgia's defense is is keeping teams in check for the most part, and I think Jaden Daniels. Um, you know. His running ability is effective against a lot of teams. Georgia, I think, can uh, you know they can do a good job of handling that. And um, I think we might see this passing game get going a little bit for Georgia. Uh, I think AD Mitchell, you know, maybe he'll be like a George Pickens role where you get you know a certain amount of snaps. And, um, and like Arian Smith, didn't he almost score a touchdown the other day? Uh, you know, maybe get him a uh, uh, questionable uh, reviewed call, I believe that. Remained a non-catch. Yeah, and what which what have been the biggest games for Georgia this year? Oregon and Tennessee, and Kirby have those guys ready to roll. Is that this kind of game? Do you think you know that they're going to you know put out one of those performances on this kind of stage? Maybe um, you know, even though there's, I mean, I don't know. Is it's the SEC championship, so you're going to walk home with a trophy. So that's kind of important to Georgia, um, and. Um, you know, as the way I saw Texas A&M run the ball last week, uh, I think Georgia's looking at chops at the chance to do the same thing. So uh, give me the Bulldogs to cover. Do we know if Perkins is completely healthy? Has that come out? I mean, I'm not aware of him, you know, having um, – I know, know he was banged up a little bit in that game against A&M, so. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think he's quite a talent. I think, uh, you know, you gotta, you got to be careful with him. He's going to strip a ball and force a fumble and that kind of thing. So – uh, but give me the Bulldogs, and we'll see. Uh, we, we'll find out Sunday where Georgia is going. We presume it'll be in Atlanta uh, for the Peach Bowl if they win this week. Otherwise, maybe out to Arizona. I'm not sure. Uh, but everyone enjoy the game, and we will talk to you next time. Have a good one. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.